So we're looking at this. Predominantly, we're going to look at the story of, of Jesus um, feeding the 5,000, which is interesting because Jesus didn't feed the 5,000. The apostles fed the 5,000 and the rest. Um, I want you, if you remember, in, in this year we, we were doing through the parables, we looked at the parable of the sheep and the goats, and Jesus separating people to the left and to the right, and those on the right, this is the, the idea that he gave them, is at, at a moment in time in, the, in your life, you did kind things to those who were hungry, those who were thirsty, those who were naked, those who were in prison, those who were strangers or um, alone, and those who were sick. And I said, what? When did we do that to you? He said, when you did it to the least of my brethren, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Do you remember that? And the others have said, well, we've done all this. He said, but you never did this to me. You never looked after the disenfranchised, these people that were actually the down and outs. At least six categories there. Let's go through them again. It's really important for us to see that. Those who had no food, those who had no water, those who had no clothes, those who were in prison, those who were alone, there were strangers in the land, and the sick. And Jesus said, there seems to be a determining factor of something of entering into the fullness of the kingdom of God that's tied into the way that we deal, minister, work with those who can't do it for themselves. It's interesting, if we, last week we spoke about the whole idea of we do not judge. Don't look at the speck in you, someone else's eye when you've got a plank in your own. You know, I realize that a lot of my judgment goes towards that group of people. Why don't you just get a job? Here you see a homeless person on the street? Why don't you just get a job? But you know, I don't know their story. I don't know are they men mentally challenged. Have they had an emotional breakdown? Are they depressed? Oh, I have none of those things. But I make judgment. And if I got the full story, as we spoke about the man on the, on the railway track with his kids, his wife had just died, maybe we would deal with these people differently. We don't judge. Jesus just says, when you see someone in need like that, we have a responsibility in light of being disciples, living in God's kingdom, to minister to those people somehow. I don't know how. But we're called to do that. And so if we were to translate that into our day today, in our time frame, who would those people be? And we've touched on that before. Maybe immigrants, maybe. People who are new to the country, haven't got friends, don't know where they live, don't know how things work. Would those be the, I don't know. There could be a whole new class of, of people that would fit under that banner that I think Jesus would say, did you minister to those people because they were unable to do it themselves? Um, and what we see there is this link between Jesus, his disciples, us, and the needy. Do you see that? There's a link between Jesus, his people, and the needy. We can never get away from that. The interesting thing is that Jesus identifies with us and he identifies with them. He doesn't identify with us more and less with them. He identifies with us as his people, as his body, but he identifies with them as the kind recipients of kingdom life and that we call to minister to them. And the moment we see that, it's suddenly thinking, oh my, my goodness, I can't just turn away and walk away, ignore 
past snide remarks, I actually have a responsibility to these sort of people. Actually, it's tied into this broad subject of love your neighbor as yourself. And who's your neighbor? The person that you come into contact with today or tomorrow that you have the ability to minister to, that's your neighbor. That's kind of challenging. But I think that as we live as God's people and we want to see his rule be established on the earth and we want to see this good news of the gospel change people's lives, we have no option but to actually embrace his teachings. Because the Great Commission is you should do everything I have commanded you. So to not do that is actually to live in disobedience. John is rich and if you love me you will obey me. A sign of our deep love for Jesus is less about singing I love you as it is about being obedient to his commands. Maybe that's good homework. Go look in the Bible, see how often you can find that I love you is tied to worship or I love you is tied to obedience. I'm not saying you shouldn't do the, the one. I'm just saying I think we need to think through this. Do you remember this in... What happens in Genesis 4? Can anyone remember what happens in Genesis 4? Cain and Abel. Genesis 4. And Cain kills Abel. Is that right? Spoiler Spoiler there. Haven't you read it? Oh, no, I forgot. You're only in Genesis 3. Oh, no. (laughs) All right. God comes down to interact with Cain... And Cain gets really, and he says to God, what? Can anyone remember? Am I my brother's keeper? What's the actual, what's what's the answer? Yes, you are. And I think forever we've been living under that, like I'm not my brother's keeper and the kingdom of God and Jesus say, no, you actually are. You actually have a responsibility towards these other people. In the church, and out of the church. It's not only, you know, does that make sense? There's another text that says there'll always be needy out there. So there'll always be the poor. You'll always have the poor with you. So what we do is not necessarily changing the whole status of the poor in the world. What it is, is it's changing the status of the person that I have the opportunity to interact with tomorrow. Remember the story of the guy walking on the beach throwing the starfish? back into the ocean and there are millions of starfish on the beach and someone says why are you doing that you'll know he said it makes a difference to this one starfish we are actually have a responsibility into god's world into the people that god has created in genesis 12 which is the the whole beginning of the covenant story of god dealing with abraham he says i want to bless you so that you will be a blessing so to receive and not give is actually to not live under covenant promise. It's actually to disobey the things that God has said. In Matthew 5, he says, No, I've called you to be salt and light. You've got you to interact with the world. It's not just about throwing out nice gospel verses. It's actually about interacting with people where they are at so that you meet the need of that person, body, soul, spirit, whatever you can to bring that person to wholeness and bring them into the kingdom of God. We have that responsibility. We cannot shy away from that. Is that a, do, do, you, do you think you get that? Now, there's no guilt here. You actually have to go and ask God, how does that apply to me tomorrow? Remember two or three weeks ago we had a box? 
We said, we can only live one day at a time. So when you wake up tomorrow and you've got tomorrow, that's your box. Where is that person in that box, that one person or whatever, that you might have an opportunity to connect with in whatever way? You've got to be obedient to God. Not to what I say. You better give them, everybody needs to give the poor 10 bucks at a time. No, that, it's just you've got to trust God, be led by the Spirit in this. How do I minister to those people? Linda's made contact with an organization that deals with immigrants. How can we help? Can we host an event for them? Can we do something? Let's figure that one out. So if we jump to, into John 3.16, does anyone know that verse? What does it say? We all know it, but we, none of us can quote it. <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that ever believes in him, right, one he begotten. It's the essence of the gospel, is that God so loved the rich, white Americans. Is that what it says? Oh, no. For God so loved the rich, white Americans, the South Koreans, some from South Africa. Is that what it says? Oh, and, and Denmark. Is that what it says? It says, for God so loved the world. God loved the world that he sent his son. Uh, you know, if you open your Bibles to 1 John, I'm going to read a few verses there. We're going to get back to the, the 5,000 in a moment. Don't forget the 5,000. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. So how do you know what the love of God looks like? It looks like a crucified Jesus. That's what it looks like. Is that fair enough? looks like a crucified Jesus. This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, do you know what in the Greek what the word material possessions there means? It means material possessions. It means things that you have. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, pity is not, oh, shame, look at them. I feel so sorry. That's not what the word pity means in here. The context of pity here is meet a need. Has no pity. How can the love of God be in that person. And these are horrible verses I'm reading today. Aren't they challenging? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You see, to be a disciple, to live in the kingdom of God, and to go about extending the kingdom of God is to realize that we have a responsibility to help people in need, in the church and out of the church. It doesn't matter the color of the skin. It doesn't matter the language they speak. It doesn't matter what religion is. It doesn't matter what their sexual orientation is, what their gender is. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. We're actually called to meet the needs and care for people wherever we can, whoever we come into contact with. And we've got to be led by the Spirit in that. Because it's not mean you've got to give everyone money. 
just means you've got to be led by the Spirit. But God, what are you calling me to? I, there's no way I can shy away from that responsibility and actually say, I'm your disciple. I mean, that's what the Bible says. That's why I'm reading so many texts, so you can't think, well, Terry said that. No, the Bible says that. 1 John chapter 4. I'll read from verse 16. There's some beautiful stuff in this, but I'll read from verse 16. God is what? Love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And remember the word love here is always the action word. It's not the soppy, ooh, I feel so good about myself type of love. This is a love as an action word. This, is, this love is Jesus on the cross kind of love. That's what we're talking about here. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Look at this verse. I've never noticed this before. I don't know what it says in the... I'm using the NIV here. In this world, we are like Jesus. Isn't that cool? There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Is this understanding that if we call ourselves people loved by God, who have received the blessing of God's love, then we are called to give it away. The same love. He gave us sacrificial love. We meant to give away sacrificial love. We don't receive dollars and give away Russian rubles at the same exchange rate. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm saying? We, we are called to what we receive to give. Whatever. Give love. Give sacrificial service. Now, you're going to be led by the Spirit. It's not a guilt trip. It's like, oh, I feel so bad. I haven't done it. Oh. You've only got today. Today, yesterday's gone. All right? So don't live in guilt about what you didn't do yesterday. All right? You say, Lord, would you teach me from yesterday? Remember the things we spoke about? If I've done something wrong, please forgive me, Lord. Can I heal? Can I make me right from yesterday? But it's done. I've got today. And let's say you're waking up to it's the morning. Let's say it's Monday morning. You've got today. To go live and say, okay, God, here I am. Be, I want you to be present in your, with your love in me, living in me so that I can live this out into my world. Be led by the Spirit so that I can meet the need of the person that I come into contact with. And will you lead me in that? Today it might mean I give a buck. Tomorrow it might mean I give a hug. The next day I might meet no one that I can actually have to minister to. And the next day I hear someone outside, I'll go visit that person in hospital or whatever. Is that all right? I'm not, I'm not laying down the law. I'm laying down, this is what God says it looks like to live as a disciple of Jesus within the kingdom of God, is that we are called to minister and care for people. When we block ourselves off from that, we, we block ourselves off, I believe, from an unbelievable outflow of God's grace by the Spirit. So, let's go back to the 5,000 in Matthew 14. And I think it's a, it's a, the context is really beautiful and I, I love the way Heidi spoke about that, is that Jesus gets bad news. His cousin's been killed, brutally murdered. You know, and displayed at a party. Can you think about that? He has his head on a platter at a party. I mean, this is not, this is brutal. You know, and, um, and Jesus is grieving. He's his cousin. I mean, they grew up together. They knew each other. I mean, he's the one that prepared the way for Jesus. He baptized. There's a close connection here. And Jesus says, guys, give me a break. I just got to go and have some time to myself. Here we understand solitude, silence, and prayer, and all those things. 
Jesus practiced them. In this context, in this, he's practiced them because of sorrow and grief, because of something bad that has happened in his family. Someone has died, brutally murdered. Get the point. Goes away to solid by himself. People get wind of it. Jesus is in town. And so they flock. Now, so now we know there's, there's 5,000 men, at least, around about, plus women and children. We don't know what that looks like. Now, if every guy had a wife and five kids, let's say, because they had big families in those days. I mean, we're talking a lot of people here, but maybe not. But minimum of 5,000. Well, 5,012, and because they were disciples. Whatever. There's a lot of people. You get the point? And they're pushing into Jesus. And I loved what Heidi said there. I mean, they're getting mad. What's this all about? But here's the thing. Jesus, in the midst of his sorrow, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of having his day off, actually has compassion and says, these people are more important than my day off right now. You know how many times I've said no to people because it's my day off? That doesn't mean we violate that all the time, but this is, is that there's, there's a desperate need here. People are sick. People are wounded. People are broken. People have been judged by the religious leaders. People have been, maybe been beaten by the Roman soldiers. People have lost people to the Roman soldiers just taking one and putting them on a cross and just because they didn't like them or whatever. I mean, the, the Romans are brutal people. They come, these, they have need. He has compassion. He just begins to minister all day. Out of his own brokenness, out of his own sorrow, out of his own grief, he just keeps ministering. Isn't that beautiful? This is our Jesus. And then we get the story, they're hungry. All right. How does he meet the need of, of their need for food? The disciples say, send them away. Let them go spend for themselves. Jesus says, no, 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 you feed them. Imagine. Our little group here. And, Jesus, and we look out in Highland Park. I don't know many people in Highland Park. And there's no restaurants. Everything's closed. Everyone's hungry. They've all been hanging out. And Jesus said, you guys, you few, you go feed Highland Park. What? Try thinking that, in that, the narrative. Try thinking those numbers. What? And then they come and they say, well, well we've, we've only got five loaves and two fish. I'm thinking, they weren't very thoughtful and prepared, were they? For themselves. I mean, that would do for Tyler. <laughs> this is what we got. And I'm thinking, they're thinking, you see, now Jesus is going to say, oh, okay, okay, send them away. He doesn't say that either. What does he say? Give it to me. Breaks it. Praise. Get back to them, feed them. And they go and they collect 12 baskets of food. <laughs> it's like, what? It's quite, it's quite an astounding story. What do we learn from that? What do we learn from that as it applies to us living as disciples of Jesus to minister into our world to the broken, the bruised, the needy, the hungry, the thirsty, etc., etc.? Number one. When Jesus wants to meet the needs of people, he uses us. Us being his people. We've got to get that. 
And miraculously, every now and then, God does something mighty. But mostly, he wants to give someone a hug. He sends one of us. He wants to give someone food. He sends one of us. He wants to give someone, he sends one of us. Because we are the body. We are the hands, the feet, the heart. All those things, that's what we are to the world. We are the body of Christ to the world. He's the head. So he wants to use us, which means we have to say we're available, we're ready. You know, they were in training, three years, you know. Um, still didn't get it at the end, but they eventually kind of picked up on the story. The next thing is understand is this, what do you have? It can be big or small, what do you have? You see, whatever you have, you make it available to Jesus. They had five loaves and two fish, and they made it available to Jesus. Don't be like them and say, oh, you know, I don't, I've only got ten bucks in my wallet, and make an excuse. How? God said, no, would you make that ten bucks available to me? Now, whatever you have, God knows what you have. No one else has to know, but God knows what you have. You can say, God, I've only got 10 bucks. And he says, but the bank account, there's a lot more. I don't know. I'm just saying, whatever you have, is saying, I'm, it's yours, Lord. You've entrusted it to me. It's yours. I mean, what I have, I'll make available to you. Most of us, I think, I don't think, I don't think, maybe I said, do you think God is stupid? Do you think God, every paycheck, is going to ask you to give all your money away every paycheck? Do you think God is that stupid? He might once in your life. I think God knows. He's going to say, what do you have available? Lord, I got the ten bucks, or I got three cans of soup, or whatever, whatever. This is what I got. He said, Jesus, I'm making it available to you. Use it. We sow it. You see, Jesus takes what we have, even the very little, and he consecrates it, and he breaks it. There's something powerful in the breaking. He takes this. He, consecrates it. he makes it sufficient in his consecration. Then he hands it back to us and says, now go. Take this and use this little bit. And you meet the need of this one man sitting on the end of the, at the end of the street and you give him your ten bucks. That's what you, or whatever it is. You've entrusted it to God. You've asked God, would you multiply this through my hands to whatever and let it go. And see what God can do. But mostly we don't give him a chance because we don't believe that he's able or we don't think he'll provide for us if we give what we have. And I think the story is that at the end there are 12 baskets. As God said, I'll look after you. Because who do you think went home with the 12 baskets? Do you think they loaded that on the boat? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But that's what I'm thinking. The disciples said, 12 baskets, one for each of us. <laughs> Taking that onto the boat. I think it's good sometimes just to take the story and think through the think it through. We're not adding to the scriptures, and it might not have happened, but it's it's likely. Guess what happened? Those people there was abundance, there was deep contentment and satisfaction in these people. 
He says, to, he says, now you disciples, get on your boat, go back to your side of the river. I will dismiss these people. Now, I don't know about you. Just think through this. If here was Jesus, and he's been healing all these people, of all these sicknesses and all these diseases, and now he's fed them and they're feeling content, he said, I will dismiss them. He dismisses them, and they all go home. What does that tell you? Think, what does it tell you? Put it this way. Here we are, however many of us here, 20, whatever it is, and we've been with Jesus, and we've come with needs, and I've come with cancer. And you've come, we've all come, and Jesus has prayed, and at the end, he's going to dismiss, but Aaron, everyone's been healed, everyone, but Aaron hasn't been healed yet. Do you think Aaron would say, great, I'll go home? Do you think Aaron's going to hang around? What would you think? So if, if he dismissed everyone and they went home easily, what do you think had happened? All the needs had been met. Everyone that needed to be healed had been healed. Everyone had eaten their fill. Everyone was content and satisfied, and he dismissed them, and they went home. Isn't that a beautiful story? What it says is, man, just as a sideline, the way I'm, in, I'm it's like, no, if, if I've got a need, I'm hanging around. I'm pushing in. I'm not letting go. I'm going to be like that woman who had the issue of blood. I'm going to crawl on my hands and knees if I have to just to touch the hem of his garment. I'm not giving up. Because he has compassion and he's sufficient and he will. But the part of the story here that we're trying to, that's also beautiful, is we actually called to minister. They fed the 5,000, not Jesus. It was their food given to him to concentrate, given back to them that they might feed. Isn't that a good story? It's, a, it's just like, oh, wow. I want to... I wanna... But there's a sad side to the story. Yeah? And obviously Jesus then goes and has his little quiet time and his moment of mourning and grieving, waiting upon God in prayer. That's what it tells us he does. And you can see them out on the water. The wind starts going up. You can see the boat starting to bob and maybe it'll look a little dangerous and it's getting in the fourth hour. It's early in the morning. Um, oh, we go chuff out on the water. It's like, what? Jesus walking on the water. I always think about Jesus walking on a nice flat surface, but the wind was blowing. There were waves. I wonder what that looked like. You know, And he appears. See, here's the little sad bit. It's not a sad bit. It's just like, oh, wow. This is the human condition. Is it Peter? They go, oh, what is this? Oh, it's, if it's you, call me. And he goes. Jesus says, come. And he goes. He's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. He's walking on the water. And then it says, and then he looked at the wind, which was, he was looking at the, the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. Help. Jesus picks him kindly, I think, says to him, Oh, you little you have little faith. I don't think he rebuked him. I think it's like, come on, Peter. This is sad, but I've, didn't you see me what we just did with thousands of people? Don't you see what you just did for a few seconds or a few moments here on the water? 
Don't you get it yet? Trust me. I got your back. I think Jesus wants to encourage us. He's got your back. When you've done this and it feels successful and you go to the next thing, oh, now I don't know. No, trust him. He's got your back. He's got your best interests at heart. He's, he, he wants to use you and work through you and do this. It doesn't mean there'll never be hardship. It doesn't mean you'll never fail. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means would you learn to trust him? He's got your back. So when you think about ministering to the poor or the needy or the imprisoned or the ones in hospital or the whatever it is, finding a way to minister through you, we don't always have to have big church projects. You just do it where you're at. Oh, we don't feed the new because we haven't created a nice Saturday morning. No, just do it where you're at. He's got your back. He's going to make sure that beautiful things happen. Just trust him. Would you trust me? I think he says to us. I think he says it kindly. You pick up anything out of the story, I hope. Let's be called to actually minister to people. Be kind to people. Care for people. Meet their needs. Don't just say, slap on the back, be warm and go on your way. No. Help meet that need. So I have a question for you. We're nearly finished. What would you do if you knew you had all the power you needed to do whatever you needed whenever you wanted? Have you ever dreamed of that? If you had all the power you ever needed to do whatever you wanted to do whenever you wanted to do it, what would you do? to give an answer what would you do then we'll look at what Jesus did it says this Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power get the picture all things had been put under Jesus authority by Jesus father In John 13, and it goes on and says, So, all authority has been given to Jesus by the Father. He's got everything, and so, this is what he did with it. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. If you had all the power in the world, could do whatever you liked, whenever you wanted, what would you do? Jesus stripped and did the most menial task. What a servant, when someone walked in on the dusty feet, because they didn't have nice shoes like we had, they had the sandals, their feet were caked in dust and dung, and, and he knelt down, the all-powerful one, and he washed their feet.
Tonight you feel like you sometimes have no confidence to actually engage the things of God. Would you learn to trust Jesus? Ask him to help you, to trust him. If you feel like you don't have resources, or your resources are small, just make what you have available. The widow came and she put one little mite. What was, God, what was Jesus' commentary on that? That's so much. It's recorded in history. The, the people I met, the plastic people in India, nothing but they had a whole month's wages to cook one chicken for guests to be a blessing. The more you have, the more you have to maintain. The less you have, the more you have to trust. So whatever you have, let's give it away anyway. If you feel you have no time, that's a big one, isn't it? In our world, if you feel you have no, I've got no time to minister to the poor. Ask Jesus for wisdom and power to be ruthless with your schedule. If you feel fearful, really fearful about engaging that sort of thing, perfect love drives out fear. Just learn to rest in God's love and let Him trust Him and let Him empower you. She said, "All authority has been given to me; therefore, you go." If you just say, "I'm not going to do that," it's below my station in life. It's called pride. Ask Jesus to change you and make you like himself and pour out grace upon you so that you might live in the deep humility that comes from Jesus. Whatever it is, we can't escape the reality. That as part of our mandate as disciples of Jesus, wanting to live in the fullness of God's kingdom, that we call to meet the needs of those who cannot meet the needs of themselves. We've got to figure that out. As families, as individuals, as a church, however that looks.